You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Contract in which promises are made so that two parties can live in fellowship together. Stunningly, God makes these covenants with humans. His constant promise through them is, I will be your God and you will be my people. He made these promises to Adam, Abraham, Moses, and David. And then sent his own son into the world to establish a new covenant. The new covenant in Jesus Christ fulfills all these Old Testament covenants. Jesus is the great covenant keeper. He is, greater, he is the greater Adam who was tempted in his garden and prevailed. Though all humanity had fallen and died in Adam, Jesus, the second risen Adam, offers resurrection life. The first Adam had marred the image of God in man, while the second Adam promises to restore the image of God in man. The first Adam brought guilt, shame, and condemnation, while the second Adam brings salvation. The first Adam's work was cursed because of his sin, while the second Adam reversed work's curse and destroyed sin. The first Adam was made to rule with God on the earth, but fell. The second Adam comes to restore humanity's rule on a new earth. Jesus fulfills the covenant made with Adam. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. Jesus comes from Abraham's line to form his church, a great nation. God told Abraham he would give his people a promised land. Like Abraham, Jesus plans to give his people a promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. God promised that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. Jesus empowers his people to preach the good news to the farthest reaches of the earth. Jesus fulfills the covenant to Abraham. God provided for the covenant through Moses and the priests. Like Moses, Jesus is the promised deliverer who would lead his people out of slavery and into the promised land. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Whose blood was spilt so that the angel of death might pass over us. Jesus is the sinless high priest. Who offers the perfect sacrifice, his own body and blood. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who is spotless and pure. His sacrifice is a once-for-all sacrifice that never needs repeating. Its power is limitless and covers all those who trust in the Lamb of God. Jesus is our scapegoat who carries the shame of our sin far away. As our great lawgiver, Jesus writes the law on our hearts. Jesus fulfills the covenant made to Moses. God promised to David that he would make his name great. Through Jesus, the son of David, his name is great. God promised to David an everlasting dynasty. That someone from his family would sit on the throne of Israel forever. Jesus is the descendant of David, who, raised from the dead, sits on David's throne forevermore. He is coming soon to reign forever and ever. As promised to David, Jesus will establish a land for his people with peace and justice. Jesus fulfills the covenant to David. Who has completed all the covenants perfectly? Only Jesus. Who is the Lord of the new covenant? Only Jesus. Who can establish this covenant that speaks a better word? Only Jesus. Who has been anointed prophet, priest, and king? Only Jesus. Who is our promise, our guarantor, our mediator, our life? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Let me just share a little bit with you here this morning. Um, 
David made reference a few Sundays ago to a sermon that I had preached that, that made a huge impact on his life. And uh, it's funny because it's not really funny. It's, it's, it's odd because every year David asked me to preach that sermon. Uh, and it's amazing because it really isn't that great of a sermon. Uh, it just happens to be that God impacted David's life in the midst of that sermon. Okay? Uh, but every year there's this, this, this sort of call to me to, to talk about uh, this this woman, Mary Magdalene, and her, her mourning after the resurrection, and to talk a little bit about how this is, is a Sunday like no other, for, for her in particular. Um, and so I would, I would like to rehearse that just a little bit here uh, for us this morning, uh, but then I want to talk to you more about the implications of this same resurrection for you and I this morning, and, and maybe uh, try to help us to understand what are some of the, the declarations that we can kind of draw in the line, in the, uh, as a line in the sand, so to speak, uh, in our lives as we uh, battle against darkness in this earth, and we live in this resurrected power, and we go forth uh, to establish the kingdom of God. Um, so let's, let's just look at that just a little bit this morning. And, uh, I'm just, and rather than reading the scriptures, I just want to kind of lay this story out for you here a little bit, all right? So it was early on the first day uh, of the week. It was still dark. Mary Magdalene, she went out uh, to the tomb, and she saw that the tomb had been removed from the entrance. Uh, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, okay? Uh, and she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, both were running, but John overran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. Um, he bent over, and, and he looked in at the, the strips of linen that were lying there. Uh, he didn't actually go in. Uh, then Peter, who was behind him, arrived, um, and, and he actually went into the tomb. He saw the, the, the strips of the linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth, uh, that, that had been around Jesus' head. Uh, the cloth was folded up by itself, apparently. It was separate from the linen. And uh, John, now he had reached the tomb first. He, now he's behind and he walks inside. He sees, and the Bible says he believes. Now, they still don't understand really fully from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Uh, so there's still these emotions that we talked about on Thursday and Friday night going on inside of these disciples. Um, but the disciples go back to their homes, all right? Uh, but Mary is standing outside of the tomb, and she is crying. She's weeping there. Uh, and as she wept, you know, she's bent over. She's, she, she looks down into the tomb, and she sees these, these, these angels in white, and they're seated there uh, where Jesus' body had been. Um, and they ask her, they say, Woman, why are you crying? What a question. What an amazing, unbelievable question to ask this woman. Why are you crying? And she immediately responds out of her emotions. And she says, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. We, 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 we begin to get this window, if you will, of insight here in Mary. Uh, in this moment, she, she's in anguish. And she's crying because she can't, she can't get a hold of the Savior. She can't get a hold of Jesus. She's been with him for some time. She's, she's served him. She's loved him. She's, she's worshipped him and adored him. She's been right there for him, and she's believed every word that he's spoken to her. Mary Magdalene is one of, really, one of the best known, and, and maybe one of the, the least understood uh, of, of our figures in Scripture, but um, her, her, her very name, really, is, is unique. It really isn't about 
a, a surname. It's more about the region that she came from. She came from an area, uh, and, and, and that area uh, is, is where she lived and grew up, and that's where um, Jesus apparently met her, was there. Uh, and that was the, the, the region of Magdala, and so Mary of Magdalene. And so we don't know a lot about her family or where she came from. We just know this, this geographical spot on a map is where she was from. And we know that, that Jesus was in this area that, around this tiny village. This is near to where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. It's said to be by many a beautiful village. And Jesus spent a good deal of time ministering in and around this region. The amazing thing is that when he first met Mary, Mary Magdalene, she was a broken woman. She was demon-possessed. She had afflictions possibly like no other. Uh, There there was nothing that that any mere man or woman could do to to help her or for her. Uh, She was most likely, uh, in all likelihood, a a depressed woman, uh, possibly filled with a lot of anxiety, certainly unhappy. Uh, She's lonely. She doesn't have friends because she's demon-possessed. She's self-loathing probably, filled with shame, filled with fear. A host of other kinds of similar miseries are going on inside of this woman in all probability she suffered a level of torment uh, that that many of us will never ever be able to comprehend much less know our experience thank God Um, but whatever her condition was it's, it's obvious that she was in some kind of perpetual agony in her life I don't know what kind of condition you're in I don't know what you face I don't know what you wrestle with and you struggle with but I'm telling you this Jesus who met this woman Mary Magdalene in her region in her place and was able to deliver her, can deliver you today, because he's the resurrected Savior. Jesus delivered her from all of these afflictions. And the Scriptures doesn't go into all that details. It does say that she was demon-possessed, and by uh, at least seven demons, I, I don't know exactly what that means. I know that, that in Scripture, the number seven is a full number and a complete number, so she definitely is demon-possessed. But he delivers her. He sets her free. And so Mary Magdalene joins this close circle of disciples, which was highly uncommon for this woman to travel with, with them. Um, but, but she travels with Jesus along his journey. And, and obviously, she never forgets along the way. She never forgets that he's the one who spoke life into her. She never forgets that he was the one who brought deliverance into her life. And so she has devoted her life to sharing his message with others. And it's really most apparent at the end of Jesus' life on earth um, that, that she was so deeply, deeply committed. Matthew, Mark, and John all record that Mary Magdalene was present at the crucifixion. And if you combine these three accounts together and look at them, it it becomes quite clear uh, that she was standing right there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and these other women. According to the Gospel of John, they stood right up by the cross, close enough that that they could hear the words of Jesus when he commanded uh, his mother's care into John. Um, But Matthew and Mark, describing the end of the ordeal, they they said that the, the women were looking from afar, so as the crucifixion wore on, obviously probably crowds gathered and they were moved back a little bit from there. But they stood and they watched and they viewed this whole horrific, traumatic episode of the crucifixion of Christ. So there is Mary Magdalene watching the one who delivered her from bondage, delivered her out of 
all of this, and he is now this ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind on the cross. And, and I cannot imagine what is going through her mind, but she obviously remained longer than any of the disciples did at the cross. And, and she was the, the first then on, uh, at daybreak on Easter Sunday to reach the tomb. So she was last there with him, and she was first to get to the tomb after uh, uh, the, the, the resurrection so it's an amazing picture of this devotion that this woman has. What would, what would she have been thinking? Uh, she knew where Joseph and Nicodemus had laid Jesus' body in the, in the garden tomb. Um, and, and she had watched them probably hastily sort of prepare his body for burial uh, when they brought him down off the cross. But she is the first here. I mean, she wants to give Jesus this sort of uh, burial that he deserved. And she wanted to uh, anoint him. And so she's, she's profoundly touched and, and she's deeply wounded here. Uh, but she's very diligent and she's very uh, um, persevering here to go and to make this all happen. And she's not even really probably thinking about the resurrection at all. I mean, I'm sure she isn't. She's more concerned about caring for him in his death and, and taking care of him at, at the end. And I'm sure that what she saw and what she experienced there did change her life forever. But she wasn't changed just because the tomb was empty. It was far greater than that. She stands outside this tomb. She... she John's gospel speaks of this in the beginning at about verse 10. It says that, that the angel asked Mary, um, she was crying, and, 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 and she turned and she saw him standing there. Um, and, and she saw that, that, obviously, we have the story that this is Jesus, but she didn't realize that this was Jesus. And he says to her, he says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Obviously, he knows. Thinking he was the gardener, the scripture says, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, you, you tell me where you put him and, and, and I will get him. It's almost as if she thinks they just disposed of him. They just, like they took him out of this, this very uh, deluxe sort of tomb, this, this, this expansive tomb, and they just probably dumped him somewhere. So she's saying, wherever you took him, if you took him away, if you're the one, you just tell me where he is and I'll go and get him. I'll take care of his body. I'll give him what he deserves. And in that moment, Jesus looks at her and he says, Mary. She turns towards him and she cries out in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Some say a better translation would be, don't cling to me. For I've not yet returned to the Father, he says. He says, but, but rather go and, and tell my brothers and, and tell them. Tell them that I'm returning to the Father and, and, and your Father to my God and your God. So we have this, this strange exchange going on here between Jesus and between Mary Magdalene. She goes back to the disciples. She, she leaves them. She goes back. She declares, I've seen the Lord. I've seen Him. And she tells them uh, that, that he has said these things to her. She, she recounts the story as it went. All he had to say was her name. She instantly recognized him. I'm taken to, to, to another passage in John's Gospel where it says, He calls his own sheep by name and they know his voice. 
What, what a beautiful picture here we have in this resurrection morning when, when, when seriously there had to have been such doubt, such agony in the night. I can't imagine them sleeping. I can't imagine such fear gripping someone. So many questions, so many uncertainties. We followed him. We believed him. We lived with him. He had to have been the son of God. And yet he's dead. So she says, Rabbanai, teacher. Her grief is instantly turning. She has this sort of inexpressible kind of joy going on inside of her as she talks. This had to have been a Sunday like no other. You see, everything that she had been told came crashing down. Everything she had believed came crashing down. Everything she had built her life around came crashing down. Every act that she had performed in any way came crashing down down. She did not know what tomorrow would bring. She had no idea it would bring a risen Savior, but it did. And so she was able, she was able to, to, to grab a hold of him. Here's the interesting thing, though. As she grabs a hold of this Savior, and that's what I'm advocating for you to do today, is to grab a hold of this risen Savior. He is not dead. He is alive. It doesn't matter what you've been through and what you've, you've put your time and your energy and your resources into in your life. It doesn't matter how much has come crashing down around you. This Jesus is alive today. And He will speak your name and you will know His voice. And He can free you from all of that past. He can free you from all of that stuff that's been back there. It might have been stuff from a long time ago or it might have been stuff more recent. See, I, I love Mary because she was delivered out of her sin and out of her darkness and out of her bondage. And Jesus did this wonderful thing for her. And she followed him faithfully. And she followed him to the very end. But in that end, she was gripped with the same kind of fear and the same kind of doubt and the same kind of uncertainty that all the others were, were, were gripped with. And so you might say that she had, she had a meltdown, so to speak, in that night. But this Jesus comes to her in all his resurrection power and calls her by name. But here's the interesting thing. He says, don't hold to me. As some would say, don't cling to me. And there's a spiritual application here for you and I, and that is this. Don't hold to your religion the way you have in the past. And don't hold on to what was, but this is a new day for you. This can be a new opportunity for you. This can be new, new means of you doing more, bigger, greater, better things in your life than you ever have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're, we're hoping that through these declarations and such that you will understand this, that you will begin to understand that this God is a powerful God who has raised His Son from the dead in order that you might have eternal life and that you can come just as Mary came, you can come. But don't cling to something that's old and don't cling to something that you've had in the past. Grab a hold of this newness and this freshness that is in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Don't live in old sacrifices and old ways. Don't live in old covenants. Live in the new covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ as your resurrected Lord and Savior. Amen?